Good morning. It's good to be with you. Um, normally, I sit over here whenever I'm off. Um, Pre-COVID, we, we would have, my wife and the kids and I would have sat over on this side. I don't know if that means something in current money. Maybe I've made a bigger statement than I've realized. Um, but it's, it's really good to be with you. Um, I do want to bring a welcome from Glengormley Presbyterian. We um, are eagerly awaiting this next chapter of your church life together. If I could suggest if you could have um, a 10-year-old girl and an 8-year-old boy, because um, we're neighbours of your manse, and it would be great if you, could, if you could make that happen in your new minister, because then we'd be able to um, have playdates um, up the street. Um, yeah, don't take that seriously in case you think I'm trying to sway something. You never know. Sometimes we don't take those things well, but uh, it's a very exciting time for yourselves as you discern God's leading as to what the future looks like for yourselves. But I wanted to, um, I realized due to miscommunication during the week, I didn't realize you were in Philippians. And so if you're a real Presbyterian, you don't really believe in coincidences. So I'll trust that God has led me to this passage this morning with you, um, which I think has something to say in the current time that we're in. You will know the parable well. It's probably the most famous parable that Jesus tells. Um, You certainly are aware of it, even if a passing experience of Christianity, it's one of those children's stories that everyone knows. But I think there's a lot to say in a time of two years of pandemic, in a world that looks like it may go to a greater war than just Ukraine. But in all of our homes, our extended family, we're aware of anxiety and mental health challenges. I think, if we're honest, in really everybody's life at the minute. People I knew who were doing well last year, if I said to them, how you doing? They'd be like, we're okay. Two years is a long time to keep going through this. It has been incredibly hard. And as Jesus describes this parable, I think it reorientates us, but reminds us of who we are because it reminds us of who God is. And so it's really the parable of two lost sons. It's not the parable of the one lost son. There's two lost sons there. And if you watch the soaps, or you're familiar with the soaps, this is really top-end family drama. Um, EastEnders or Hollyoaks, or whatever it is that you like to watch, really has nothing to compare to this. In your pew Bible, or you're not allowed pew Bibles anymore due to COVID, but in your Bible in the house, it's really short. It's a really short story that Jesus tells, and in it you have really wide-scale, top-end family drama. And so you have these two sons. The first son essentially is sick of home. He says to his dad, I would like my inheritance. He essentially says to his dad, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying. It's not a, I would like an advance. It's the inheritance that he wants. He's saying to his own father to his face, can we fast track your life so that you'll die and I can get the cash? It's incredibly offensive. One of the scholars that I read suggested in the commentary that the correct response is a crack to the head which isn't the holiest comment that you read in a commentary, but that's the, you know this. If somebody in your family said this to to you or your dad or whatever your family dynamic is, this is just deep offense. It's insulting. But the response of the dad is to divide the property. He gives the younger son his share. And then the younger belligerent son, and this is the level of offense, just to try and, and bring us into this. He quickly sells the land just for the cash, and then he leaves. So the insult is to the dad, but the insult is to the family. The insult is to the community. He's wrecking the entire family structure. And then to add further insult to industry, he sells it and takes the family wealth and spends it in a foreign country. 
He doesn't even keep the family wealth even in the community, which is still offensive, but he actually goes somewhere else and essentially gives the money to the Gentiles. The offense in this is multi-layered and deep in really every direction that you could think of. The insult is huge and widespread. There were consequences for the dad, for the family, and even for the community, because keeping the land and passing it to generations is really important, and he's wasted all of it. And so the younger son goes to the far-off country, loses it all, and it's interesting because it just says he squanders it in reckless living. It doesn't give all of the detail. The older son is the one who brings in detail. He has his own agenda happening later in the story, but it's just wasted, wasted in recklessness. And then there's a famine, and the first son, the word, the language would be he glues himself to a citizen of that country. He just sticks with somebody else when he's there. He can't go home because there's disgrace awaiting him. And in, in, a, in a part of the text that doesn't connect for us, because probably at some point in the last few days, you've had sausages or bacon. You might have a ham in the oven this morning. You, our relationship with pigs is very different. If you had a fry this weekend, you probably had pigs as part of it. Sorry to get graphic. You might not be want to think of that. My kids are unpacking that at the minute with sausages. My eight-year-old is very disturbed where sausages come from, but that's a digression we don't need to get into. But the younger son ends up feeding pigs. Pigs are unclean. Jews don't eat them. Jews don't keep them. Jews don't look after them. They stay apart from them. And so the picture that Jesus is giving is a very visual picture of what rock bottom looks like. His life is so bad that his job is to look after somebody else's pigs. And even in that, it even gets further because he longs to fill his stomach with pig swill. And I could have arrived today with a bucket of pig swill, but you don't need the visual to go, no, we don't need you to start laboring the point. This is a new level of life is not going well at all. And so the younger son moves from where he was at the start of the story of being sick of home to becoming homesick because he realizes in a moment of clarity that even his dad's servants live better than him. And so he pre-prepares his speech. It's like a great soap opera that you see in the parable. He pre-prepares what he's going to say to his dad, what he might say to him if he goes back. I will work for you. It's not repentance. That's something we probably miss It isn't turning back to who he should be. He's negotiating that he can get back into his father's house as a servant. And his apology, as Luke records it, is, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you, which is a quote from Exodus of what Pharaoh said to Moses in the plagues. Pharaoh wasn't repenting. So remember, the ten plagues, plague comes, Pharaoh it's so bad. And he tells Moses, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. The plague stops and kingdom kids could walk you through this. The cycle keeps going. And Pharaoh never really repents. He never really changes his ways. The younger son's doing that. He's using Pharaoh's language to try and bargain his way to be a servant in his dad's house. If he works for his dad as a servant, he wouldn't be living at home. He'd be living in the servant's quarters. Maybe he could save enough to pay back what he's taken. Maybe at some point in his future, he might be able to set things right. But he can't be a son to his dad anymore. 
Maybe he could be a servant. If he was fortunate, he might get away with that. And then you have this really climactic scene at this point in the story where the son returns to the village where he has broken all of the relationships and rules that exist. Picture the music would be playing. He's coming back along the road. He's going to ask his father, can he be a servant? He's coming back empty-handed. He's coming back a failure. He's coming back tired. He's coming back starving. His name is mud, and he is mud. And one of the great quotes, I think, in the New Testament, it just says, while he was a long way off. The dad knows his son will fail. He knows his son's anger and frustration and his son's ungrateful ways will not serve him ultimately. And the father is checking the horizon. The dad is looking for him. He sees far off the scrawny, weary body of his son coming. I was in London, well, so everything's a few more years ago because COVID has a two-year block and that. Probably four years ago, I was in London. And one of my mates that I grew up with has lived in London for 20 years. And we were in a cab going to his house for dinner and we were driving through the East End or whatever. And out of nowhere, I went, there's Gary. And my wife went, how on earth do you know that that's Gary? And I went, I'd know the back of that head anywhere. And it's just, you know people in your life and you'll see them out and it'll be the walk or the gate or the angle. You'll just know it's them. And what you have in the text is while he was a long way off, the father knows his son. He knows him. Either from the war, I don't know. The Bible doesn't describe what he knows, but he can tell it's him. And the dad takes off, hitches his robes up, full of compassion, running throwing his arms around the pig-stinking son, kissing him. I wonder if that's how it goes in your house, if you're in trouble and you've done something wrong. It's not how it goes in my house. There's maybe a bit of shouting, maybe a lecture, maybe a scolding or a telling off. If you're older, maybe you've got a clip around the ear. If you're older again, maybe it was a bit more than a clip around the ear. It, it, it changes through the generations. But if you're the one in the wrong, it's rarely rectified by the person who's been wronged taking off towards you to fix it. In addition, in the Middle East, wearing long robes to run is deeply humiliating. Men did not run. Now, some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, my man does not run either. He's not Middle Eastern, but that's not quite the same. In the Middle East, the man of the house wore long robes and he did not run. It was a disgraceful thing. He didn't need to run. Other people would run. He didn't need to run, and yet, as Luke describes it, the dad takes off. He is the one who is humiliated in the story. One of the scholars describes a scene where the dad is running to get to the son before the village catches on that he's there. The father is taking off to protect him, to look after him. And when he meets the son, the son is completely disarmed by this. His bargaining approach actually changes. He becomes repentant in the face of what he's saying. He doesn't ask for anything. He just declares that he has sinned and he is unworthy to be a son. That's all he manages to get out. As he owns his actions, he knows he can't fix this. It's the father who restores him. It's the father who acts like a mother. So the Bible describes God as father, but also gives God as father the characteristics of mother, of tender warmth, of compassion, of tenderness. And the father in the story acts tenderly and with warm-heartedness, which is what compassion is. 
In this parable and the, and the other parables in Luke 15, what you find is all of the parables are told in response to people muttering and complaining about Jesus because he welcomes sinners and eats with them. What you find in the parable of the lost sons is Jesus' response is, indeed, I do eat with sinners, but it's much worse than that. I not only eat with them, I run down the road, I shower them with kisses, and I drag them in that I might eat with them. Jesus is clearly speaking of himself. By the end of the story, the Father is doing what Jesus does. It's the incredible news of how God is with us. In the parable, the Father arrives and puts on the robe, the ring, Servants don't wear sandals. They put his sandals on him. But what you find is the son begins to look like the dad. It's the dad's robe. It's the dad's shoes. It's the dad's ring. He's being, it's being put on him. I don't know if you've got any little kids in your world. So my two are at the stage where sometimes they're very, very tidy and sometimes you wonder how they made such a mess with stuff. So my wee boy can eat pasta and just cover himself with pasta. And sometimes, occasionally, it'll come that he finishes his dinner and he'll lean in for a hug and you'll go, not just yet. And you'll, and you'll just wipe him down before you have an embrace. That's not what you find here in Luke 15. The father just grabs him, smelling of pigs, dirt. He is wrecked and wasted. And the father has him, just absorbs him, kissing him, cuddling him, embracing him. The picture that we have is total forgiveness and total restoration immediately. That's what he's brought into. It is public restoration. This doesn't happen in the house. Some of you at some point will have some form of disagreement possibly in the driveway. And you go, not here. And and you go into the house and work out your stuff in private. Maybe you don't. Maybe you all live lives of harmony and current money. I don't think it. I don't mean full-scale war, but just you'll be going, this is, we're not doing this in Tesco's. We're going to go home and we'll talk about that. Okay, we'll work it out. This isn't what happens in the story in Luke 15. It happens on the road. It happens and everybody else can see the Father running. They can see the Father embrace him. They can see the Father restore him. And then the Father goes party. Full-scale party. They kill the fatted calf. If you've been to the butchers in the last week, a cow is a lot of beef. This is not the four or six of them around the table. This is everybody in. The village is invited. It's steaks and sausages and burgers and everything for everybody. It's the whole cow is being sacrificed and everybody is involved in celebrating the restoration of the lost son who comes back. It is wide and full and public. And the village who would have condemned him and been part of condemning him are now brought into the restoration. But Jesus doesn't explain that Grumpy came and they really weren't happy that he'd been restored. You don't know that. You don't know all the details of the people who come other than everyone is in and this is a full technicolor party that we have. The celebration is that the lost has been found. The father came to him as soon as he saw him and brought him home, restored him beyond any expectation, any right. The restoration is complete. The restoration is actually fuller than when the story started because at the start, he wanted his dad to be dead and that's not the picture. He's in the party with the father. It's a celebration. I hope you can see the parallel is that this is how God works with us. This is how God is with you and with me. It is the delight that we sing and praise about today 
because this is how God is with us. And I think that is incredible news for us to hear today because for some of you, you're thinking, I will come to God when I've got my life in order. No, I'm not bringing that to God because that's not together yet. That's not what Jesus describes. It might be what Presbyterianism describes or Ulster Christianity or Western Christianity. It's not the Bible. The Bible is the story of at the point where you turn really at all towards him, he is off. God is off and running towards you. He's not waiting for you to gather it together. I have friends who go, when my life's more organized, I'll come to church. Like, you've missed this. You've missed what Jesus says himself, that the Father runs to restore anyone who's looking for him. It's not a, well, when you've got it together, God gets involved in your life. That's not what Luke 15 describes. But that's not the end, so stick with me because there's another son which is not what we tell the kids in Sunday club. You might do it here because maybe you just run a better Sunday school, but often we just labor the prodigal son because there's another son. The first son is the lawbreaker. The second son is the law keeper. He stays on the farm. He stays in the family. But he is sick at home. He is with the father and he is furious. He is raging that the other son has been restored. There's a party for him. He doesn't even make it into the party. He's annoyed because somebody else has told him that the son has come back. He doesn't even make it, doesn't meet him, doesn't see him, doesn't go in. He is just furious that the father would be generous and kind and forgiving. His view of the father has become really quite slanted and toxic. And you see the same parallel for the law keeper. The dad leaves the party and goes to the son. It's the same father. The father is consistent all across the board. The father leaves the party that he's paying for, the party that the village is at, the party that his son is at, who's been restored, and yet he leaves again because the other son is not in. He knows the other son is not in, and they have a really awkward conversation because the elder son has already left the father. He lives in the same house. He sees him every day. I don't know if he had all his meals with him or not, but he, he isn't glad to be there. He isn't glad to be in the presence of the father at all. The second son's sin would be in his attitude. He has no joy. And how he describes his father is as a hard taskmaster. And we've no trace of that in the story, but the son's view of the father has become really quite twisted. He views him really negatively. He has no joy of being with his father in the family every day. He has no sense of this inheritance. As the father says, this will all be yours. He's so disgruntled. He has no joy in being in fellowship with his dad. And the father says, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Your brother was lost and is now found. It doesn't say this. The Hebrew, does, or Hebrew or Greek doesn't say this, but it is just short of, would you wind your neck in? Because the elder son can't see it. He won't see it. His heart, his heart has become hardened. What's hard in the parable that Jesus tells it is, if you were watching this on TV, at that point, if I was musical, I'd love to be able to do this, but I have no music in me. The dun, 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 dun. Because the parable doesn't end. It doesn't give us an end. You're left outside. There's a party happening in the, in the house with everybody in it. There's an elder son. There's a dad who's doing everything he can for the elder son to see it. And we don't know what happened next. We don't know if the elder son went, oh my goodness, dad, I, I've really messed this up. 
and he grabs his dad. And you don't know if the elder son goes, I've had it. I'm done with you. You don't know where his heart stays, if it becomes soft or it stays hard. Jesus leaves you with the tension in that story with a son who is missing out on everything that is his. The parable of the lost sons show us what, shows us what God is like to the law breakers and the law keepers. The tired, the weary, the hungry, the done in. I don't think you have to use too much imagination in the current season we're in to think, yeah, this, this applies to us in this season. It applies in my life and in yours. The God who watches for us to return and at the first sight of him moving towards us runs to us, bringing us fully into his family, embracing us with robe, with ring. Ring is a sign that you have the Father's authority, that you are his. His robe means you're, you're beginning to look like him. You're taking on some of his characteristics because it's God who, who humiliates himself for us. It's God who does all of that so that we can be restored. It's also the God who comes to the self-righteous, the judgmental, and those whose hearts are hard. We see clearly in the parable is the heart of how God is for us, for us and those you love today, whether they are lawbreakers or law keepers. And you know where you are in that, and you might flick between them. There may be areas of your life where you're going, I'm really not living as I should. And in other areas you're going, I don't feel a lot of joy in my life that I, this is real. And the same father responds in the same way. He is the one who is consistent. And maybe today in your life you have things that are against God. Maybe those things make you feel far off. I think the incredible part of the parable is that as soon as you begin to turn towards him, he is off and running. Because the lie that the devil tells us is God doesn't want to see you or know you until you've got it together. It's, whenever I do my quiet time for a while, then God will turn up. Oh, it's a great lie. If I miss church, God won't love me anymore. I'm, going, I'm not telling you to miss church. You should come to church. But in anything, our behavior begins to tell us, oh, God doesn't like me. God doesn't love me. It's not what Jesus says that God is like. Because while he was a long way off, while you were a long way off, at the moment where you begin to turn, he is off. He runs. God does everything to be as close to you as possible. And maybe you're the law keeper and you're going, I'm here, but I've lost my joy. At some point, your heart has become maybe hard or calloused or just COVID has taken the life out of you and you're like, this is all so hard. And God does the same thing. He comes to where you are and goes, come in, come in. Just come in and be with me. It's the incredible news that we have in Luke 15. I think it's good news whether you're a law keeper. Maybe you're the older brother. Maybe you're the younger brother. Maybe your heart has become cold or hard. Or maybe you struggle with the idea of being part of his family. But what you find is the generous, forgiving God who wants us to be with him at the banquet, at the party, at the celebration of being in his house. I think that's great news for us today. It's great news to remind ourselves today. I have one thing to extend this. So if right now you're going, I'm just about keeping up. This is good news enough for today, and that's enough to... But if you're thinking, okay, I'm familiar with this. The challenge question is, 
when other people experience you, if this is true for you, do you love them the way that God loves you? So you will have friends and family who are lawbreakers and lawkeepers. I don't need to sell that terribly hard in our part of the world. When they begin to turn, do you love them the way that God loves you? Or do you expect them to get their life in order before you love them? Or because they have become rule keepers and have become quite hard in relationships, you're like, well, I'm not going to love them. The challenge for us as followers of Jesus is, do we love other people the way that we have been loved? Do we apply the parable of the two lost sons in our lives to those who are prodigals in our lives? To people who desperately need to know the consistent love that comes from you because this is how God loves you. That's a really challenging thing that I name it at the end because it's really, really tough. Because sometimes we go, when you get it together, then I'll love you. Or you go, actually, you've become really difficult and hard and I don't want to love you anymore. But then we're not passing on the love that we have the joy and the privilege to experience from God on to others. So maybe it's a question that you think about this afternoon. It's a difficult question. It's a challenging thought of, is other people's experience of us reflective of the love that we have experienced from God? Because that is our job as Christians, is to love others as the Father has loved us. And their lives will be transformed by that all-encompassing, God-powered love that comes through us. Let me pray for us. Father God, to say that we thank you for Jesus is really the greatest understatement of all of our lives. It is incredible good news that Jesus uses picture language to describe how far you go for us. For some of us, we feel a long way off. Or we feel tired or scrawny or worn out or it feels like we're covered in mud. We feel dirty in our lives. We have, in different areas of our lives, turned away from you or gone to far-off lands. Father, remind us of the, of the real truth that Jesus describes, that as soon as we turn towards you, you are moving rapidly towards us because you love us. You bring restoration into our lives and bring us into your family. But Father, you also know that for some of us, our joy has gone. We have become calloused or cold or just in areas of our lives, we're not experiencing the joy of being in your family. And so we pray for your spirit to move in our heads and our hearts and our lives, that we would know this because again, you move towards us. You come to where we are and meet us and bring us, invite us into that full, joyous relationship with you. And Father, we pray that, that our love for the world around us would be such that others would see you because of our love for them and that we would love them with your love, not our love, because we're judgmental, we're difficult, we're awkward, and yet that's not how you treat us. So help us to love others as you love us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and the people of God said, Amen.